Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome, folks, to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider that brought the three of us, myself, David and Matt, all the way out to Indian Wells on a trip of a lifetime that is, for David and Matt, already a distant memory. For me, well, I'm still on that trip of a lifetime. You find me in a Miami hotel room. Since Indian Wells, I have been to Palm Springs and Las Vegas. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the list. Just feels like more at this stage. Uh, where in the world did we find you, David? Hello. Solihull, Catherine. Um, I've just felt very much like shouting, check you out <laughs> with your list of places. But uh yeah, I went to Frankfurt, lost my luggage, arrived back in Birmingham, was reunited a day later with my luggage, and now I'm sitting in a uh, a little office in Solihull with the blinds drawn because it's not very nice outside. Matt Roberts, where in the world do we find you? You find me in Richmond in the UK, not uh, in Virginia like many of our listeners, but I have also been to so Palm many. Springs and <laughs> Las Vegas since uh, Indian Wells. And yeah, it's it's very nice to see you both. The last time I saw you both involved slightly weird transport situations, I've just realised. It did. It wasn't the goodbye after a, a, an epic two. It, it wasn't the goodbye that the trip deserved. deserved. All was I don't planned. think, was it? <laughs> no, because <laughs> I said goodbye to Catherine at Vegas Airport. Well, she was going for a bus for one terminal and I was going for a bus for another. And we had a sort of very weird hug where I was still holding my suitcase and my golf bag and Catherine sprinted off to make I just sort bus. of assaulted Matt. <laughs> I was the only participant in the hug. And then I sprinted away. <laughs> and with David, we said goodbye at Palm Springs Airport in the middle of a big, uh, well, how do we hoo-ha. describe it? Hoo-ha, car mix-up. <laughs> <laughs> David left us on the curb. <laughs> I dispatched your your baggage into a bright red Ford Mustang and then the realisation hit that convertible the realization hit I mean, and let me just get this in <laughs> Catherine looked really cool in the driver's seat and then we realized I had 10 minutes of being cool folks 10 of, minutes I got to drive a bright red red Ford Mustang convertible in and out of the Avis parking lot <laughs> in Palm Springs yeah it was great and then Matt and I um basically tried to waggle the contents of Catherine's luggage into a space that was not going to be able to fit the luggage (laughs) it was actually an experience which i think sort of summed us all up because catherine was at one end of the spectrum like i'm sure it'll fit we'll get it in it'll be great david was like you need a new car and 
I was somewhere in the middle for a few seconds, trying desperately to get the luggage in, but yeah, trying to keep the dream alive, realizing we had no chance. David's energy was really, I need to get away from these impractical children immediately. (laughs) And he did. He was like, I've got a plane to catch, guys. Good luck. Uh, See you later. And he did catch that plane. And we did uh, trade in our dream car for a very practical Jeep Cherokee. Um, Grey. And off grey, fittingly grey. A dream to drive, though, took us all the way from... But Well, it took us to Las Vegas. It took us to LA and back last Wednesday, uh, where we just casually hung out at Pam Shriver's pad. Uh, what? Did, how long ago does that feel, Matt? <laughs> a very long time. But it was one of the great mm. days. What did Pam think one of the game, One of the great Matt? days. I feel like I should answer that question. Please do, please because do. Because... I see the I see the conundrum Matt is in because the answer to that is Pam was extremely impressed oh. as was I, um, and Matt's like, can I say that? Can I say that out <laughs> loud on a podcast to lots of people? So I'll say it for you, Matt. Matt was on fire. It turns out, you know how tennis is all about matchups, David. Matt's game matches up with Pam Shriver's <laughs> like a dream. Matt loves a low slice, it turns out, which is my absolute nightmare. I fall to pieces as soon as I see someone gearing up for a slice. My my mum has a wicked backhand slice and I just fall to pieces. He didn't like my uh, slice But Matt in likes the ball low, it turns out, and Pam Shriver's got, you know, one of the great slices and they were playing in the rain, so the balls were heavy and staying extremely low, even lower, and Matt was just... Balling. I, I, I was blown away. Actually, <laughs> blown away. It was it was a high quality half an hour of tennis. Pleasantly surprised. <laughs> she did yes. actually say positively surprised. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and and, and, and still gave uh, me a lot of great. At coaching. one point, at one point, she compared Matt's volleys to Martina Navratilova. Okay, I mean, now this is getting a bit silly. <laughs> Turns out also that Matt is a great half follier. Did we know that, David? I mean, he seemed to struggle with my and, dipping and passing we, shots. But... We, were, um, we were, you know, decompressing afterwards on the, on the long drive home to, to Palm Springs. And Matt said, I've just always had the half folly. It's always come naturally to me. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, it really is for the best that I didn't describe my experience with, this with Pam Shriver. I would have, <laughs> I would have come person? across terribly. You should have seen him in Vegas, David. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> to, to me, we're we're, a, we're an open mic here, Catherine. Just talk away. <laughs> um, so people have tuned into this for. Can, can you tell Matt and I haven't watched a lot of tennis and we're stalling? <laughs> They'll be coming to me for, for Miami tennis updates before the bit where we have to talk about tennis. Um, yeah, we went to Vegas. All feels like a dream now, doesn't it, Matt? Oh, I mean, it kind of felt like a dream at the time, to be honest. And it it certainly <laughs> does now. What are we? I don't even know how many hours removed. Did Taylor Swift live up to it? Is the big question. Oh, because oh. my word, did I have I to mean... hear a lot about it ahead of time? <laughs> It better bloody well have lived up to it. Yeah. There was one podcast recording during Indian Wells where we interrupted live streaming Taylor Swift on TikTok to record the podcast. And David wasn't our biggest fans that evening. I, I think that would be I think that would be fair to say. It was it was another I need to get away from these impractical <laughs> David, irritating David, who is always moment. up last on podcast recording night, you know, just to oversee everything took himself to bed early. He said, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I did a Billie Jean. You did. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what to say to people that say, how was the concert? I don't know what to say. There are no words. If someone asks me on text, I can at least try and express it in emoji form or send a video. Um, but I, I simply don't really have the words to express how special it was. I'll take that as a yes. Absolutely then. incredible. Incredible, David. 
I've seen I've seen the pictures. I, w- I I'm not being a stick in the mud, folks. I was <laughs> delighted for them. Glad that I wasn't there, but delighted for them. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm still. Uh, it's all a bit of a whirlwind, really. Here I am in Miami. It looks lovely, um, but my heart is still a little bit in Las Vegas and Palm Springs. Um, and at Pam Driver's pad <laughs> um, and Indian Wells. So I, I will get into the Miami swing of things. I will. And part of that will involve leaving my hotel room, which is not something I've done yet. Um, but at the moment, I'm still I'm still processing, David, as Americans would say, processing all the all the many, many good things. I have watched quite a bit of tennis since arriving at this Miami hotel room which I haven't left so I do have some contributions to make David will be making in fact Mark Knowles and Lindsay Davenport are currently on my screen talking about tennis uh, on the tennis channel coverage Um, uh, so I do have some contributions to make Matt have you been catching up a little bit over the last 24 hours since landing back in the UK yep I've been I've been putting in the work today before I Needed a jet lag sleep this afternoon. Uh, but yeah, this does feel like the David's show for his Miami takes. And we quite enjoyed experiencing David's uh, Miami takes remotely. They were there, there were lots on Twitter that we saw coming through on a podcast account. There were some on our group chat. And then we noticed that maybe we weren't quite providing the uh, back and forth that that we usually do and so David took his chat to our Alcarazmataz group with uh, Catherine's brother and and he was watching so I feel like maybe he should be on this podcast because yeah he's he's definitely seen more than I have but uh, yeah I have been it, I've been doing was... some catching up and it feels like there have been a lot of very good matches and yet at the same time a lot of the big names big hitters are still left and we're set up for yeah. like a really good second mm. week it's been a pretty good sweet spot i'd say so far the the algorithmataz chat was definitely the right place for you to go david because you you found a, a kinship with math on um on dusan Lajevich hot takes mm. yeah which weren't <laughs> faring overly well uh at one point i i decided that um Lajevic's incremental improvement against Alcaraz in their two previous matches over the last month. He played it, played him twice, I think, in... Where was it? It was Rio, and was it... Where was the other tournament that they had? Uh, Buenos Aires. Um, and and he lost one of them 6-2, 6-4. He lost the next one, I think, 6-2, 7-6, something like that. And, you know, he was, he was in there. He lost a seven-love tie-break. But, I mean, you know, he was at least forcing a tie-break. And I thought, oh... Lajevic has now beaten Andy Murray. He's then backed that up. He's beaten someone else. He's set up this match against Alcaraz. And I said on the Alcaraz-Mataz group that I think that Lajevic might just push Alcaraz really closely. First set was six, love Alcaraz. And (laughs) at this point, uh, Math beat me to it by about four seconds just to own our um, combined failure. (laughs) To, to recognise that this might be a match because uh, Math also thought that, that I, I might not have come up with the worst prediction ever there. Uh, fortunately, Lajevic somewhat... He said Lajevic is playing legitimately excellent level of tennis this year. Not such a bad shout, David. Thank you, Math. And then there was some chat about Lorenzo's Musetti's, Lorenzo Musetti's... No, wrong Lorenzo. Lorenzo Sonigal's... Sonigo. Oh, dear, see... I've forgotten tennis. I've forgotten tennis. <laughs> Ask anything about, about Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Lorenzo Sonigo's musical side gig, which is has has revealed itself. Anyway, he was with you on Lajevic, David. Very much with you. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, Lajevic, I think, has, has been poor the last year or so. He's looked... He, he was better a few years ago, but... Th- just just the last few weeks, he started to play, and then he forced this this match into a tiebreak as well. But there's still there's still a, there's a feeling Alcaraz has got to where I think he needs to be now in his career because he's winning matches uneventfully and unspectacularly by his standards. And whilst that's a you know a bit of a shame, I mean he beat uh Facundo Bagnus, six love six two and it was a really dull match. It's really hard to believe that an Alcaraz match can be dull at all. 
but he just had so little to play against and he was required to do so little that he didn't play that well and he still won 6-love, six 6-2. Six but this is what will separate him from being this flashy player who we all flock to see who occasionally has a big week to maybe being a serial winner, which which ultimately is what I want him to be because I, I think the, the sport is at its best when it has someone like that. And he's he's that good that he can he can do them both. That's what... Federer at his best, Nadal at his best. I think increasingly there's a bit more of it in Djokovic as well, a bit more of a showier player than he used to be, albeit he still is going to be uh, a percentages player. That That is a, that is his sort of bread and butter. But Alcaraz loves the show. He loves to make people go wow in the crowd. But... He also needs to be be a serial winner to be to fulfil his potential. And and I I mean there are only two matches, but there there are another two matches that make me believe that that is on its way. And he now Alcaraz plays Tommy Paul with the winner of that match to then play Holger Rune or Taylor Fritz, which is I I love that section of the draw. That's that I'm I'm into all of that. It's a big yes please from me. Yeah, definitely. And if if I can if I can chip in with a take about about something that I've seen in Miami, I'm going to use that opportunity because I did watch Taylor Fritz last night against uh, Denis Shapovalov, and it's quite an interesting matchup because Shapovalov used to dominate it. He was he was three and zero in that head to head, but but Fritz has really turned it around in the last few years and it kind of reflects the jump that he's made that Shapovalov hasn't in a way. And just the difference between them, Fritz is a player who who knows how to make the absolute best of his game and is a great competitor. And Shapovalov at the moment is a really tough watch because he's getting very frustrated. He's uh, very on edge. It doesn't look like the relationship that he has with his with his team certainly during the match is is going to be conducive to playing great tennis and he's he's kind of an error machine and Fritz I thought gave a really interesting analysis after the match where where he said coming into it I thought that I would have to hit my forehand really big and serve really well you know those those are always the keys but he said I didn't actually have to do those things because all I really had to do was get the ball in because Shapovalov was just so so sort of ready to play attacking tennis and nothing else and it wasn't working so he was just hitting errors but Fritz pointed out that he thinks against Runa it's going to be totally different because Runa is starting to play well again and you know he's he's going to force Fritz to come up with his best tennis um so yeah I, I completely agree I think this is a really interesting section of the draw and and some tests for Alcaraz you know Paul Paul can bring it and then if even if he gets through that Runa or Fritz will be uh will be tough matches so yes big yes please to to all of those it's a distinguishing feature of top players isn't it that they are tough to beat that unless they're injured or ill or there's there's something significant external going on they're not going to beat themselves you have to absolutely bring it to beat them and that is absolutely not the case for Denis Shapovalov he is not tough to beat he might absolutely bring it play his best and win because we know how good his best can be but players are watching on the walking on the court against him thinking this guy is not tough to beat. I don't necessarily have to play my best today to to get a look in. Okay, if he plays his best, then then maybe that's going to be tough. But you know, it's, it as all top players tell you, it's not about your top level. It's about your your average level. Um, and Shapovalov's isn't good enough. You know, I was I was sat in the lobby. My I took a red eye from Vegas to Miami, which just it's just an overnight flight for for people that don't use that terminology, which is usually me. But anyway, that's what everybody on my flight was calling it. Uh, And it landed at about 7am. And I was at the hotel by by 7.30am. No, it landed about 6am. Anyway, I was at the hotel by about 7.30 and there wasn't a room ready. So I had to play, spend a significant amount of time hanging out in this, in the lobby of this hotel. 
looking, they must have been thinking, we need to get this woman a room because she is stinking up our lobby. We need to get this seemingly homeless person out of our lobby as soon as possible. Uh, I did not look pretty. Um, anyway, so I'm looking through the drawers. I was thinking, I just need someone to check out of their room ASAP so that I can get a room. And I was thinking, oh, then a Shapovalov will be checking out soon. Um, and I said it as a joke, but I also... You know, it's becoming grimly predictable, isn't it? Anyway, I mean, I mean, let's move on. Yeah, but but it um, is but it is true, and I mean, I, I think that they they have shown themselves up to be in that match what they are. One is a professional mm-hmm. who is maximizing maximizing his talent, and the other one isn't. And unless Shapovalov makes a big change to his approach, it's going to carry on. Hmm. Let's continue with the men's draw seeing as we're there. So at the top we have Alcaraz, Tommy Paul. Have they two have those two played? If they have, I don't remember it. No, neither do I. And no, I agree with maybe, you. I, maybe I, th- I was in Vegas at the time. <laughs> A really fascinating combo because Tommy Paul's almost become one of those players you have to beat now. I think Taylor Fritz is one mm. as well at, at Grand Slam level. You you these are barriers to to players with massive potential. I think Holger Rune will find it. How good are they? You know, and and because Paul, you would expect, will bring a level. And whether Alcaraz is good enough on the day will determine. They have played. They played in uh, I think it was Canada last year, and Paul won. And it was it was one of those results that really made me think that Paul had a way better season last year than he did have. Like he did have a good season. But he didn't have anywhere near the consistency that he's showing already this year. And there's one of those strange stats going around that I don't even know why I'm bringing it up because I don't particularly like it. That Paul Paul always beats Spaniards, and he's he's won like all of his last twelve against Spaniards, which of course sort of means nothing because they all they can I all do be like it. they can all be a bit different. But for him, that does include wins over Nadal and Alcaraz. Uh, so, um, yeah, he's he's a he's a tough match for Alcaraz, I think. I'm glad Holger Rune is finding some form. I know we're only at the round of 16 stage, aren't we, in the men's? Um, but it's still back-to-back wins, isn't it? He's beaten uh, Martin Fucevic and he's beaten Diego Schwartzman. Because um, it's he's been okay this year, but it's not been what we expected when he won Paris at the back end of last year. And I know some of that is injury. He's had this wrist injury, which I think he sustained on court at the Australian Open. But I think whether you like him or, or don't like him, and I think it's completely legitimate not to like him, he's going to rub people up the wrong way. I do think tennis is better for him being there and, and being a challenger. So I'm really interested to see Runa against Fritz heading into the uh the section of the draw below that Botek van der Zanschulp last night beat Kasper Ruud I watched quite a lot of this and by watched I mean had it on in the background while I was multi-screening with the new series of Succession um it's been a really professional week for me and uh being a professional tennis broadcaster um but I I think watching Ruud van der Zanschulp in any capacity is is quite a commitment to being a tennis broadcaster even in a multi-screen situation yeah, they, not, I don't think either of you watched it did no, you no you're right uh, they're not they'd not be your first choices would they Catherine they would not be my first choices absolutely not no but it was all that was on David mm. <laughs> and um well speaking of having a bad year Let's talk about Casper Ruud um, because obviously he was a finalist in Miami last year. That was his real hardcore breakthrough at the top level. That was his moment of, you know, proving the naysayers wrong, wasn't it? And by naysayers, I mean Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> um, and so it, this him failing so starkly to to live up to that achievement last of last of 12 months ago feels like a real benchmark of how not well his season is going so far relatively now obviously he'll be coming on to clay now which must just be an alleluia moment in his mind but he's also coming into a, a period where he has a lot to defend not so much on the tour events but obviously at the french open where he's got final points to defend but 
it's funny, he won the opening set of this match against Van der Zandskorp. It was a competitive set, but he won it 6-3. And yet, he didn't look like a guy that was in control of a match. He looked really stressed and irritable to me. And I think that's why the match held my attention a little bit, because he just looked so not himself. Even after winning the first set, I still felt like he's really in danger here. Um, it, it definitely doesn't feel like all is well in the world of Casper Ruud right now. I think he might be stressed about what he has to defend. Uh, he might be stressed about living up to next year. He might be emotionally at the end of his canister. We spoke to him after we, he lost in Australia and put him on the spot a little bit about the fact that he spent his off-season or a large part of his off-season travelling around South America, being an opponent for for Rafael Nadal at the exhibitions down there. And he kind of said, didn't he? Maybe on reflection, that wasn't the best thing for me to do with my off-season. And I think maybe he is still paying the price for that. And I'm a little bit worried about him. Well, I think think we're seeing a number of players now who had extensive off-seasons involving playing tennis exhibitions who are not delivering... At these big events, um, Cameron Norrie is another one. He he's obviously had some fantastic results, but he's played all the time, um, and I, and I, he's an adm- admirable guy. As is Casper Ruud, as as is Stefano Tsitsipas. In terms of their output on the tour, they're always playing. They try their hardest. They're ultra pros in terms of preparation and playing matches, but they're losing a lot, and they're losing at the big events. They're winning a lot. To, I mean. Norrie's won won a tournament, he's beaten Alcaraz, all the rest of it, but he's lost uh, early in Miami. He lost halfway through, or, well, he lost in Indian Wells. I can't quite remember the stage. But it just feels as though these people are just burning themselves out a bit by playing too often. And they're, they're fit enough, they're mentally into it enough that they can keep a level but when you come to these biggest events and you need an injection, a turbo boost, it's not there. And it may, it may not be cause and effect. It may be just coincidental. But I think it, I think there's something to it. What has surprised me about Rude is, is that he did actually take five or six weeks off after the Australian Open. Like, he didn't play at all in February. He came back in Acapulco and... He still hasn't been able to get going at all. And and to me, that, that now shouldn't be burnout. You know, he genuinely did have quite a big rest. I think he perhaps, as you said, had 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 some reason to regret the off-season. He, he certainly suggested he wouldn't do that again. And I think we all saw that Australian Open non-run coming, really. Um, but for him not to have kicked on in the last few weeks has been a bit of a surprise to me. He's lost to... Taro Daniel, Christian Garin and Bortic van der Zanskel, you know, just players that he had completely separated himself from last year. And, you know, you would expect him to just sort of take care of. I actually thought that there were some signs yesterday. I, I, I caught up on that match this morning just because I, I thought Kasper would would come up as a talking point and felt like he was going after his shots again. The number of times, though, that he got in a good position in a rally and completely flunked a smash or failed to put away a volley, and including on match point, kind of staggered me. And I think, completely agree, Catherine, it seemed like he was stressed and in his own head and just short on confidence, I suppose. And, and that has, has manifested itself as this just inability to, to close matches. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't won back-to-back matches all season, He's outside the top 80 in in the race. It's it's been a really bad start and suddenly now there's some there's some pressure on him to to perform on clay and I think maybe last year was probably, you know, m- might well end up being the best year of Kasparud's career, but I didn't I didn't expect him to come this short of of matching it again and now he's playing with a bit more pressure, a bit more expectation. It's it's a new scenario for him. So, yeah, I do think he'll be an an interesting story to watch through the clay court season. And see also rinse and repeat for Matteo Berrettini, um, who you know if Casper Ruud hasn't won back to back matches all year, Matteo Berrettini has barely won 
a match all year. He's lost to Mackenzie McDonald this week. Good player, but not someone with the weapons of Matteo Berrettini. You would expect Berrettini to to be, you know, Matteo Berrettini of a year ago, two years ago, beats Mackenzie McDonald unless there's something going on. You know, he lost, Matteo Berrettini lost in a, a challenger during Indian Wells. He, he lost early in Indian Wells, didn't he? And then went on to play a challenger in... Phoenix. Somewhere in, there we go, Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I've seen that on some road signs <laughs> recently. Um, it is, it is tough times for Matteo Berrettini just now. And I know he has nothing really to, to defend until the grass court season and then not much to defend after the grass court season, really. Um, but I feel for him. I, I do think, you know, we were joking about him being a cursed player at the start of the season, but now it just doesn't even feel funny anymore. You can see his stress, Catherine, when when he's playing. I, I watched the tail ends of, of the two sets against McDonald because they were both tie breaks. And it was one of those, it was an amazing day. on. I think it was Saturday that match was played. It was just the most fantastic day where so many matches were going on all at the same time that I, I kept flipping between the match that had the tie break coming up because there was sort of half a dozen of them in, in the space of a couple of hours and I went over and I saw both of the tie breaks that Berrettini played and he he looks the same he looks like he normally looks he's he's strong he's hitting the ball incredibly hard he's he's trying his heart out there's no lack of application it's just it's just stress it's just not there there's no form there so he's he's trying to force it he's trying to make muscle memory happen before your very eyes and it's it's just not quite there and mcdonald was doing all the right things because he was soaking it up retaliating counter-attacking making it difficult and kind of making berrettini misfire and it was it is a tough watch because because you know how much it matters to to Berrettini and I'm sure to Kasparud as well. But it, and it shows how fine these margins are between a confident player who's in form and one who's not. Yeah, absolutely tough watch at the moment. Uh, what else have we got in the men's draw? So Yannick Sinner is playing Andre Rublev later on today. Uh, I think of those two as very similar players. I know Sinner has more to his game. I think he's got tools that Rublev doesn't have, but from the baseline, I just feel like the stroke production and, and the way that they play from the baseline, it's that sort of, you always call it kind of video game style tennis, don't you, David? Um, but generally, I think Sinner has, has the better of their matchups. Uh, and then going below that in the draw, there a lot of those, play, they're all around behind, so they're still at the round of... 32 stage, so still a lot of shaking out to do. Daniel Medvedev still in the draw. He won his opening match and then got a uh, a walkover in the second match, so difficult to know whether he's really picking up where he left off from that run. Sitsipas, I just watched some of uh, beating Christian Garin in three sets. Garin had the crowd heavily on his side. A lot of Chileans, a lot of, lot of Latin American presence in Miami. Uh, I still don't think Sitsabas is fully fit. Uh, he still seemed to be suffering some discomfort in that right arm, certainly as the, the match wore on. To his great credit that he ended up winning it, but uh, I still think he's not fully fit and I'm not sure playing is the way to become fully fit. But hey, he's still in the draw. Good luck to him. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Moving on to the women's draw where they are mostly, or I think entirely actually, at the round of 16 stage. I think we've had one woman win through to the quarterfinals already and that is Martina Trevisan. She has already beaten Yelena Ostapenko today. Good win that for her. Good week mm-hmm. for Martina Trevisan. Um, but the rest of the quarterfinalists still to be decided. Oh no, Anna Potapova, she's through. She beat Zhang Xinwen and she awaits the winner of the match currently on court between Jessica Pagula and Magda Lynette. And it is a five-love situation in Pagula's favour. Um, she could do with a good week here, Pagula. She's not looked quite right. She's looked quite burdened, I think, in recent weeks. Still been doing a lot of winning, so well done to her. But she just... I mean, we know everything that's been going on with her her mum, uh, which has been um, very troubling for her, and she told us all about it in that Players' Tribune article. So there's there's every reason for it. She just has looked burdened, I think. But five love, <laughs> five love juice. That's that's pretty good going against an Australian Open quarter finalist mm, who beat um, Victoria Azarenka in the previous round in an absolute. Classic. This is the thing. There have been so many huge matches. I think you said it at the outset of the show that in isolation there have been loads of good matches, but not necessarily ones that will have a bearing on where the title goes because Lynette now might, well, she might get beaten very comfortably in the end by Pegula. We we had the same happen a couple of rounds ago with Yelena Ostapenko getting a win over Beatriz Sadadmeyer, and I, I watched some of that and. And Ostapenko comes back from 3-1 down, wins five games in a row. It's just awesome hitting. And you're thinking, oh, maybe Ostapenko's about to go on a run. She plays Trevisan today and loses straight sets. And I only turned on at the end to hear the commentator go that, that Ostapenko would not have beaten a top 100 player today. And, you know, you, you sort of, I mean, I didn't watch it, so I can only go on that. But the, there's a lot going on every single day but it's not necessarily the stuff we'll be talking about at the end of the tournament. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I watched uh, Paola Badosa as well get um, a, a, a really hard-fought win over against Laura Siegmund. You know, a player that two years ago she beats comfortably when, when she's feeling good and is in form and confident. A bit like the, the Roods and Berrettini on the men's side. You know, you've got certain players that are just trying to rediscover what they're capable of and she she managed to she had to deal with you know a long injury timeout when she was three love up Sigmund does does do that quite a lot now it may have been a legitimate injury but it was a bit of a coincidence it felt like uh, that she did that um she won through and then she she had a match point against Elena Rabakina didn't quite get it done but look at all these players that are meeting so early in the tournament you just mentioned Runa against Fritz and 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 today we've got Barbara Krachikova against Irina Sabalenka. I mean, that's only halfway through the event, and you've got two of the two of the best players in the world playing against each other. Yeah, and that's the third Masters, well, third WTA one thousand event in a row where Krachikova and and Sabalenka would have played because they met in Dubai and Krachikova won. They met in Indian Wells and Sabalenka won. So sort of fascinating to see which direction that that rivalry goes uh, and I think that's exactly what we need we need big 
big matches between big players happening regularly. You know, it'd be nice if it was happening in in the latter stages of this tournament because they feel like two of the very best players in the world. But but great that it's happening. And I caught up on the match that David mentioned between Belossa and Rebekina. And wow, I mean, <laughs> the way Rebekina went from making a lot of errors in in the first two sets to suddenly just cutting them all out and redlining her, redlining her game when she needed to. Match point down, she had a forehand winner and then barely missed another shot for the rest of the match. She was up to up to 60 winners in in three sets and just her her composure and her ability to consistently hit the ball so hard but to big targets I, I think that's what sort of separates her from from others and Belosa was was sort of gesturing to her team that she felt like Rebecca was just sort of blindly hitting winners and maybe getting a little bit lucky I, th- I think it was just pure frustration of being so close to winning a big match and having it just sort of taken from her but Rebecca now has won I think 10 in a row and is just in superb form Magdalene an Australian Open semi-finalist of course just correcting my error from around seven minutes ago now she is probably going to lose she is uh, 1-5 love 40 or certainly going to lose this set I would confidently predict against Jessica Bagula who knows what will happen in the remainder of the match uh, winner of that to face Anna Potapova uh, who beat Zhang Xinwen in the previous round not really happening for Zhang Xinwen this season is it I think I predict. I think she was my shooting star for the year. Yeah, I, I recall that. I, I mean, look, it's early. It's <laughs> early days. It's early days. But by the way, Anastasia Potapova is is putting some wins together. I mean, she beat um, Coco Goff uh, in the previous match. To that, I, I, I watched all of that, um, and she she's really playing the best tennis of her career right now. I think, but being much more reliable. At this level, I mean, I I did think that Coco Goff was the story of it, though. She looked so so lost on the, particularly on the forehand side. It was it's pretty dispiriting actually seeing seeing that match from her side of the court. You know, as people, I think most people want to see Coco Goff be a massive factor at the top end of the game, and she may well be that, but. Crikey, I can't remember seeing a player with a with a weakness like that for you know who's at the very she, top for a long time. If she doesn't sort it out, David, and it sounds like from what we hear from people that know better than us about the technical side of the game, sorting it out means really seriously potentially taking some time off and making some structural changes to to that shot, which is not easy to do in tennis, muscle memory, all the rest of it. If she doesn't, and that is a huge if, do you see her achieving the potential that has been predicted in her by pretty much everybody in tennis? Given that she's still only 19, she has already reached a Grand Slam final, is she, it, it, how worried are you that well, she doesn't kick on from that if she doesn't sort that shot out? P- pretty worried for her because I think the the predictions all came from achieving some some pretty special stuff when she was just fifteen and sixteen years of age. I mean that was such at a young age and probably unfair at the time for us to go as do lally about it as we all did me included and look i'm i still picked her to win miami because i liked the sort of points on offer for her and i still i i am so but i'm also such a believer in her as a competitor as an athlete i mean some of the some of the retrieving she did against potapova was just insane her her court coverage is off the charts i would say the best in 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 the sport um and her backhand is world class. So there's, there's some seriously good stuff in her game. But I just don't think you you can do it on the backhand side if you've got a good enough slice. You can cover it up to some degree. You can't do it on the forehand. You 
you can see the contact goes. She starts kind of hitting it half half true. She's not really hitting the centre of the strings properly uh, when it gets tight and when she's really put under pressure on that side. And I don't think you can get around that. I don't care how good your movement is. And against a player who was inferior to her in many, many other ways and who also has a dodgy forehand in Potapova. But Goff was, I mean, relatively speaking, you know, these were two world-class backhands and two poor forehands. And Goff's, I'm sorry to say, was a liability in the last half of the of the of the match, and I I don't know whether you can rebuild a shot within a career like this. I mean, how long would you have to take off? I don't know whether it's even possible. Whether whether you get around it by just getting really confident and using using your weapons to to cover it up, maybe that's doable. But you compare it to to the players you've just mentioned, Sabalenka. Krachikova, Rybakina, Shrontek, they just don't have a weakness like that. So I think she's going to have an excellent career as things stand, but she's not going to be able to rival them at the top of the game with that shot. Matt, you predicted Krachikova just on her to win this title, and you did that knowing the draw, knowing that she was due to face Sabalenka in this round if they got there. I know that because... I saw you check the draw with my own eyes. Um, how do you feel about that prediction? I just like the points on offer. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> no, that was a dig at David, Vegas by the way. Vegas has changed him, David. <laughs> that was a dig at David. <laughs> oh, right, OK. <laughs> I don't think it was, you see. I don't think no, it was. No, mine was a genuinely, I'm looking at the draw, let's try and work work this through pick. Um I guess, <laughs> I guess part of me just thinks, look, Rabatkino is playing so well. I just sort of always think it's unlikely that a player will do something as big as the Sunshine Double. You know, it's been it's not been done by that many players in history. It's really hard to do. So I thought, okay, I'll go for someone else. And yeah, I just I just thought that Krejcikova doesn't mind that matchup with Sabalenka. You know, they had some close matches, and. How do I feel about it? Well, that match is tonight, isn't it? So this will be out of date tennis news very soon. But I loved the comments that I read today, I think, on the, on the WTA website from Craig Chikova saying, basically, don't forget about me. Like, everyone's talking about Rabatkina, everyone's talking about Sviontek and Sabalenka and Big Three talk is starting. Well, she's saying, I want to be a Big Four. And I love a player who plays with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And I think Krejcikova has kind of always done that in a way. She's she's very underrated, I think, and she knows it. And she wants people to realise how good she is. So I, I loved hearing those quotes. Um, I think it's, it feels like a bit of a coin flip match. They're both in great form. But I would probably expect the winner of that to go through to... The final, I guess. I th- am I right in saying that Pagula and Rabatkina are on the other half of the draw? That they're both looking yes. like they might meet, um, whereas whereas Krejcikova and Sabalenka are the are the really big informed names in in the other half. So the winner of Sabalenka Krejcikova faces the winner of the match currently on court between Vondrosheva and Kisteya. It's on serve at the moment. Who knows what will happen because Marketa Vondrosheva, as we know, is inexplicable as a tennis player too truly inexplicable uh, and then above that we have the winner of Kvitova and Gracheva to face the winner of Alexandrova Katarina Alexandrova and Bianca Andrescu who's had three big ish wins or I think actually four Andrescu three big wins quite frankly I think they're big wins. I mean, they're Emma Raducanu, Maria Sakkari, um, and then the most recent round, Sophia Kenin. And look, Raducanu and Kenin, we know are far from their peak Grand Slam tournament winning form, but they are players who've done exactly that. They've won Grand Slam tournaments. Sakkari has her struggles, but she did recently win, reach the semi-final of Indian Wells. She's a top 10 player. And Bianca Andresco has not been beating players very often. She certainly hasn't been winning three in a row and players with pedigree like that. And and I just think there is 
plenty of reason to be optimistic because of these wins. She needed wins like these. She needed moments that reminded her how good she is and how great it feels when you win and to just feel good about life as a tennis player. Uh, I think if she could get on a roll, and this is a bit of a roll, she could be back at the top of the game before you know it because she's that good. She's The potential is that high. Um, so I... I, I I try to be objective a lot of the time about the tennis we watch. I don't feel very objective watching Bianca Andreescu because I desperately want her to be a factor at the top of the game for years to come. I love watching her play. I like her from what I see and hear. And I hope she is going to keep going. Especially because when she wins, you you get Coco. The Coco, <laughs> Coco was on at the tennis channel desk this week and it was it was a joy <laughs> a joy to behold bianca what a scene steve bianca was asked to introduce her and she said she needs no introduction <laughs> <laughs> so great they call so themselves great. by first names don't they bianca just at bianca that's it mm. uh, at coco yeah. no imagine doubt. being able to do that so, yeah, uh, Alexandra next for Andrescu. And look, David, as you say, she's a role player, isn't she? Three three back-to-back wins. Can't remember the last time she achieved that. This is already a mini, mini role. And I do like the idea of, you know, the, the WTA dressing room, which is filled with a lot of players that have won Grand Slams, players that have proven they've, got it at the top of the game but just aren't doing it right now at that very very top I do like the idea of that cohort of players hearing the post Indian Wells chat about a, a, a big three and going uh hang on a minute <laughs> I'm here I can beat this screw lot. your big three <laughs> yeah I, I'm really I'm here for that I know Andrescu hasn't said it out loud but we we know that she believes in herself she she kind of did say it um earlier in the season didn't she that she sees those those women at the top of the game and feels like she belongs there um so yeah that's what I'm picturing in my mind them all getting together sort of power rangers style (laughs) and going no no big three (laughs) and uh something that Andrescu has said out out loud this week is just how much better she feels on court generally she actually she actually mentioned her run to the Miami final in 2021 which is a which is not a result that sticks in my mind um she she had to retire in that in that final against Ash Barty and she'd really sort of struggled through the tournament but kind of in classic Andrescu style you know that was her thing at the time wasn't it just winning so many improbable matches but she said she felt horrible on court during that run and wasn't enjoying it and you know ended up having a really tough season took a break and she just said now two years on in Miami she just feels better and she's got a sort of you know a reference point and in herself she feels better and that's that's really encouraging and if she can then Bring bring somewhere close to her best tennis as well. Absolutely, sign me up to uh, to the Andrescu fan club that we all that I think we're all in. We're in it. We're in it. Um, should should say by the way, didn't mention that. I mean, most of you probably know this. No Sviontek in Miami. She withdrew ahead of time uh, due to that rib injury, which she had mentioned um, after her loss to her back in her in Indian Wells. Um, we now know it's caused by a bad cough. Ow. There we go. Put yeah. Your, put your rib I mean, out I'm just, bad cough. Ugh. I'm pleased. Uh, I mean, as I see Stefanos Sitsipas live on my screen right now in the um, in the Tennis Channel studio, I'm, just, I'm pleased she's not playing injured because she doesn't need to. You know, even if it is only a minor injury, minor injuries can become more. Tennis is relentless. Just take the time that you need as much as... You know, the draw would be enriched by her being there. I'm okay with her getting herself right for the clay court season. 
Um, and I think at this stage of, of proceedings, um, I think that's probably, I mean, I could, I could update you on some things that will very definitely be out of date by the time any, anybody's listening to this, but, um, I think that's about it for where we are right now with Miami. We'll be back midweek, won't we? Uh, and we'll of course be back at the end of the week, um, to wrap up what we've seen and heard and hopefully I'll have nuggets from the ground uh because whilst i've only seen this hotel room (laughs) there's a whole world out there Uh, (laughs) and i will be seeing and hearing things from the tournament hopefully um some news away from miami uh that just dropped in our inboxes today andy murray has joined the management company img on a long-term deal with IMG Acting as his exclusive commercial representatives and managing his career in conjunction with his long-time manager, Matt Gentry. And this move means the dissolution to some extent of Andy Murray's um, management company, the one that he and, and Matt Gentry started together, 77 Management. This is... I mean, I know this is very, very sort of niche insidery tennis news, but for those niche insidery people, this is quite interesting, David. Yeah, and normally we wouldn't break or cover news of a player's movement between management companies. That's not It's not really that interesting to the vast majority of listeners, and it's, it's not even that interesting to us a lot of the time. But this is interesting. I mean, yes, they're disbanding our Andy Murray's agency 77 they're disbanding the tennis division completely um they are continuing their representation of footballers uh, which they have among their number caroline weir from real madrid uh, and a number of male footballers as well ryan porteous from watford jack harkness from rangers but their tennis division which included andy murray obviously at the forefront of it uh, and other British players, Katie Swan, Harriet Dart, Paul Jubb, Aidan McHugh, um, they're going to be looking for alternate representation. I know that um, 77 under under Matt's guidance is going to be helping them try to find some, some new representation. But I think the reason this is significant is because this was Andy Murray's kind of baby, really, from when he won Wimbledon in 2013, so nearly 10 years ago, he he and Matt named this agency 77 because it is it was 77 years since a British man had won Wimbledon, last man being Fred Perry. And so they, they started this agency. He'd previously been with uh, 19 Entertainment, run by Simon Fuller, you know, the, the people who run X Factor and all that sort of thing, and Matt was, was working for them. And they went out on their own and they created this agency to, I think, considerable success in terms of it becoming a boutique agency which represented Murray and, and sort of created his brand. He got his own logo. He got his own. Uh, he's got his own c- clothing label with Castore, who have now branched out into football as well and become quite big players in in the Premier League. Um, and he, he he always struck you as the one of the big four that went out and did his own thing. He wasn't with the big agency. He 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 was creating his own thing. And he was also looking at the the afterlife of a tennis player, wanting to be uh, a mentor to other athletes. And certainly when those other players that I mentioned, Harriet Dark, Katie Swan, Paul Jubb, were were signing up, they all referenced Andy Murray being a a part of of the appeal of it, of of having the chance to to have his ear, to have his advice. Um, He spoke a lot about that too. So this is kind of significant in as much as well what what does it mean for that does Andy Murray is he moving in a different direction altogether I I suspect not I suspect he will still want to do those kind of things but maybe in a different way I don't know that for a fact but the fact is he's joined IMG because they are pretty much sure things commercially and you look at players that have had careers that have extended beyond tennis like Maria Sharapova Lena um, several others that Max Eisenberg, the uh, the IMG head, has has been influential with. He's now got Andy Murray, and and I I, I suppose I think it's a bit of a shame in a way that seventy seven in tennis is not going to be 
a thing anymore because I, I liked the idea of it. I liked the idea of Andy Murray being a guide for players. But when you look at those players that he that they'd signed up, I had a look at their rankings when they started when they first joined the agency and now and they're not that different. They haven't gone up that much. And the truth is it's really hard commercially to make big deals for players that are ranked 130 or 150 we often hear about players how how it's there's not that many players making a lot of money i think all those players are doing fine from being top five british players and they'll have earned good money as prize money at various points and for being part of the billy jenkins cup team and all that sort of thing but you're not going to be bringing in big sponsor endorsements so i imagine it was probably quite difficult to 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 really make a go of that um, and yeah, just shows that that Andy Murray's he's he's looking further afield. So many of them end up at IMG or similar agencies to to maximise, especially in the latter stages of their career. Yeah, and uh, good luck to all those players that with um, with Matt Gentry's help will be looking for for alternate uh, representation. And good luck to Andy Murray at the Giants that are. IMG. Uh, I bring you mascot news, folks. Today's mascot is Poppy. And Poppy is the universe being kind to me because I needed a Bernese Mountain dog today. We on met my, one, didn't we, in Australia, Catherine? On my Vegas come down. <laughs> uh, we met two, David. Yes. We met two. Well, you observed two. I sort of dived head first into two. <laughs> uh, you, well, you don't see two Bernie's Mountain Dogs very often. When, you, when the opportunity arises, David, you've got to grab it with both hands. Poppy is eight years old, loves cuddling, chatting, eating and long naps. And she's owned by Elizabeth Desmond. Poppies are both... Poppies are one of my favourite flowers and... Bernese Mountain Dogs are one of my favourite dogs and needless to say, I love Poppy so much. So thank you, Elizabeth, uh, for sending her to me today. Uh, I needed that. Uh, I also bring you competition news. You might remember that we were running an incredible competition um, in conjunction with On Location and Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours to win a trip to Indian Wells next year to see all four semi-finals, men's and women's, and both finals, hotel stay included, transportation to and from the venue, an incredible prize package. And it has been won by Ron Buckmeyer from Los Angeles, California. And we met Ron, didn't we, at the Steve Fergal's booth in Indian Wells and we remember Ron because his socks matched his the, the the trim on his on his branded tennis podcast top and I remember that and I'm very very pleased for Ron yeah, and he, he had Billie Jean King style matching glasses, didn't he? Yeah, he he was he was a cool cat and and a really nice chap as well, and one of so many lovely people that we we had the chance to meet. And uh, yeah, he's going to be back, and he's going to be back in style. So delighted for him. Yeah, so pleased for Ron. Um, you've won a competition, and you've been called a cool cat by David Law. Yeah, I'm not so sure that really first person ever. I think <laughs> maybe to be called a cool cat by Big. David. <laughs> big day for Ron I've, d- I've never used uh, the expression before Ron so you know <laughs> I don't know whether you should take that as a compliment or an insult and uh, that's it I think for this tennis podcast only to tell you that we have our mascots David has Maisie, Amazing. I've got Xenia Matt has Darwin, we still have all of our skin in the Miami game? No, we don't. I think. I, I've lost Coco no? Goff. Oh, Coco Goff. But I'm still, you know, dining out on my Donna Vekic and Carlos Alcaraz wins that have taken me into second mm. place. Anyway. Matt and I still have mucho skin in the Miami game. Uh, game. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Missed that face. Um... Yeah, miss that face. We'll be seeing it in a week's time. Uh, we have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And Matt, we have shout outs. We have Dorinda, who is originally from Melbourne, but now living in Connecticut. 
All right, Dorinda. Hello, Dorinda. I've been to Melbourne and not Connecticut. I've Same. been to Connecticut, I think. Ooh. Have you? I think. <laughs> Clearly memorable, David. Yeah. I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dorinda. <laughs> Thank you, Dorinda, yeah. <laughs> We've also got Anne from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Anne. Are we talking Anne with or without an E? Without. So oh. I think this is... Same a, church, same pew. This is a babe, is my middle a name. Whitaker-heavy shout-out. Yes, because my brother lived for a year in Albuquerque and my parents visited him there. In fact, I'm the only um, of the uh, only of the Whitaker nucleus family uh, that hasn't been to Albuquerque. There's some Whitaker trivia for you. <laughs> It's tough to spell Albuquerque, um, isn't it? Yes. Yep, probably not great radio to do it either. <laughs> I'm just trying the, to do it in my head, but I can't figure it out. Anyway. I think the 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 key is that it's Albu, A-L-B-U-Q-U-E. And then, in fact, there's three U's, which must be on you. Well, while we're there, why don't you just spell it for us, Catherine? I think it's A L B U Q U E R Q U E. Nailed it. Perfection. Great radio. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. <laughs> and finally, we've got Chris Tate, who is from Toronto. All right, Chris. Toronto. They don't say they don't say the second T, do they? Don't they? It's soft. I learned that from the film Argo. Oh, why don't? Because they they're do all that? pretending to be Canadian, aren't they? They 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 give them Canadian passports to get out of Iran, and they have to be told not to say Toronto because true Canadians, Toron Torontons, <laughs> Toronans, Toronans. They say Toronto. Mm. Okay. There you go. Good. I didn't Fact. know that. I, them, uh, um, like Chris Lewis of Wimbledon final fame. I'm impressed. Have you recently Thank watched you. that film, Catherine? Because you normally have a different Toronto story for shout outs. I do, but I always tell people okay. about how I dangled off a building in Toronto. Well, I know. And I, yeah. I very I feel much like enjoy new, it. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to put listeners from Toronto off becoming shout out friends they're like oh well i'll just get i know exactly what i'll get yeah you know because i've got i've got a deep well of, Give us some more, of toronto Catherine. material to draw line upon. them up yeah there'll be others well i've just given you that one great yeah well, just given you one that's and, good for today yeah and and chris says that he's had the honor of meeting both Catherine and david at the u.s open last year he says i oh. snuck i oh. snuck up on Catherine as she was preparing for what turned out to be serena's final match and a few days later, I ran into Reed accosted David, who was towering above the crowd during the changeover from day to night sessions. That's what he does. Oh, yeah. So it's what I'm That's all about, what Chris. David does. Chris, you've had the full David Law experience. <laughs> uh, thank you for being a friend. Thank you to all of you for being a friend. If you'd like to become a friend, get yourself a shout out or an intro or just be in the tennis podcast friends family then do that and the details of how to do that are in our show notes as are our details of how you can subscribe to the newsletter which you absolutely should do head to our social media our instagram our twitter our tiktok that has no material on there but you know work in progress <laughs> Sub subscribe to it to to encourage us to to use it, maybe. <laughs> and our YouTube channel, same applies. We know that one um, has stuff on I've been working on that it. That has stuff on it, yeah, that has stuff on it. Um, and we'll be back with you midweek for more from Miami. We'll speak to you then. 